Welcome to a special royal episode of Tell Me About Your Father's Daddy Issues. I'm Matthew Philp. I'm Elizabeth Thompson. And I'm Erin Hosier. A week has passed since the jaw-dropping Oprah interview with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, and what has unfolded since is a story that is teeming with paternal anxiety Mm. and trauma. So this week's episode of Daddy Issues will have a distinctly royal theme as we pull apart the key issues and players of what's gone down since and ruminate on where all this insane behaviour stems from. What's historic is that a senior royal left his family and moved his own to Hollywood to escape the media by becoming the media, by signing multi-million dollar deals for podcasts on Spotify and film and television with Netflix. Incidentally, the home of the acclaimed series The Crown, which is a dramatic reconstruction of Harry's own family. Oh my God, this is insanely meta. That's right. Who else watches The Crown I watched it all in a minute. I believe every single thing I it's see all on more that or goddamn less show. So, impressions of the interview, you guys. It was a shocker, right? It was mostly Megan's interview. It was an hour and a half on CBS. It was teased for two weeks ahead of time with those clips. The camera pans across Megan's like distressed mm-hmm. and serious face. And Oprah asking her, were you silent or were you silenced? Long pause, Megan says, Mm. the latter. So that got us talking. When you think about the royal family, you think about the queen. But as Matt has schooled us a little bit, the rules stem from the patriarchy itself. Matt, can you give a little background on the royal family and how how it all works before we get into the So I think the monarchy in Britain and most monarchies function as corporations and as tours of tools of propaganda fundamentally i mean they've always i guess been run like corporations because that's how you survive in my opinion i think it functions mostly as a tourism magnet um more recently early in the 20th century it was really a sort of focal point or a propaganda tool during the war and also before that like in terms of the expansion of the british empire i was talking to some um, british people recently about it and they were saying In a way, the royal family functions as a kind of default family for you to identify with if you don't know your own family's lineage. So a lot of really upper class people are acutely Mm. aware of their lineage because it's how they identify and feel sort of superior to other people. And they have relatives that can be celebrated that are knights and dames or whatever. (laughs) Most people don't have that. And most people really don't know a whole lot about, like, their family beyond, like, 100 years. The royal family can kind of step in for that. They're a link to the past. Um, How are they supported financially when you were talking about that? Is it how much is taxpayer money? Because people are always talking about, like, they owe us this because we pay for that. How does that work? Prince Charles basically funds Kate and William himself with proceeds from the Duchy of Cornwall. He's the, the Duke Ducci. of Cornwall. It's not the Ducky. Ducky, yeah. <laughs> it's a Ducky. He has a line of food, actually, a line of products called Duchy Originals. Does he? Um, Does he? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> and he's really into farming. So okay, yeah. I have some questions. Yeah. So why are British people so fucking mad at them? Like, I know there are a lot of people in the UK who support them, who support Harry and Meghan and think that 
things are too ludicrous and ridiculous for them to live safely in the UK. However, why are there so many people up in arms if we were to look at, you know, media figures in the past week getting so outraged over this, like Piers Morgan? What are they so enraged about? Is it because they think, well, you know, I pay taxes to bankroll your life and therefore you should have a smile on your face yeah. and enjoy all of it? I but what do they care? Why do they care? I need someone to explain this to me. I, like, I think- what do they care if they're talking about their unhappiness well the big the big revelation by Meghan markle i feel like is that the royal family is in bed with the british tabloids and newspapers which we probably already know but she Mm -hmm. talks at length continuously about like the palace didn't protect us from the media. Well, no kidding, because the only reason the House of Cards stays up is because the press keeps it there, Mm. and also because of pageantry and jewellery. But I think the reason that... there are, I think there are two reasons why people were so mad at them, and I think that it it kind of falls along party lines in this instance. Right-wing people tend to be furious at them because they want to deny that racism is a thing, or they want to commandeer the support of resentful people who feel that because she had money and access, she should not be ungrateful. Right. It's not necessarily unhappy. It's like, you should be grateful that you had this. Megyn Kelly's thing about how she's like, she was depressed in the palace, as though that's somehow absolutely (laughs) inconceivable that you could be depressed in a palace, is entirely about dog whistling to people who are angry about being poor or angry about being poorer than Markle. So that's kind of where it all falls into. They were handed all this stuff and then they turned their back on it. Yeah. That's why people are yeah. angry. I just, I, when, when, it, when you asked about first impressions from the interview, I did feel sort of irked by Oprah being like, what do you mean you're trapped to Harry? Like, why is that difficult for people to wrap their heads around? Is she just asking that question to be the viewer at home yes, wondering I think that? So. I think so. My other thing that I have to say I'm just going to say it after my first impressions. (laughs) I fully support Megan and Harry. Good for them. Good for them breaking the cycle in the most writ large way. This is a great example of someone stepping away from a family that was not supporting them and helping them. Yeah. However, can we just talk about the fact that Megan listened to going to the chapel on her wedding morning and claims that she slept a full night before? She slept a full night. She listened to going to the chapel. And also, the, you know, the whole I've never really Googled the royal family. People were really outraged over that. And at first, I also did a, I did a guffaw mm. when I listened to it. Yeah. But when I think about it, I'm like, it makes sense. that I mean, she wasn't saying I had never heard of them or I didn't know anything about I didn't know that his mom was Princess Diana or whatever. She was saying like she didn't know the ins and outs and the intricacies and all of the backstory to the royal family. And I don't really either. Most Americans don't. I would Google no. that shit if I was going to marry, you know, a redheaded prince. Of course she would. I just would. <laughs> I, I would Google everything. She did talk about You Google. would Google it, but it's like, how much of it would you understand and like retain? Yeah. Besides the obvious stuff that you already know. Well, so much of it is so like absurd. It's all this made up nonsense that is supposed to be like kind of ordained ritual, but it's just made up. It's also arbitrary. 
I think it, he should be commended for removing himself and his family for their safety and stepping out of this traumatic cycle. I think that the trauma comes from two different places. Mm. One, royalty is really bad for humans. Mm. <laughs> if you are born into a royal family, it is not healthy. It is not okay. It is bad for you. It causes you to deny your entire being. And it's also kind of not healthy socially, I don't think. It's not good to hold these people up as though they're somehow more important. So when mm-hmm. you live in that situation and your family, the people who have lived in it their entire lives, like Charles, like Philip, um, and like the Queen and like her father and mm. her mother, that kind of corset on your identity and that fear that you could do something mm-hmm. wrong that would completely destroy this entire institution and then it would be your fault. That's a crippling amount of pressure to live under. Mm-hmm. And it's traveled down, you know. It's traveled down from Philip, who is... 99. And an eternally angry, entitled, patriarchal jerk, racist jerk. <laughs> Tell us who, about it. He, Tell us about Phil, big Phil. Yeah. Well, for a start, okay, so he's he was a prince of Greece. The majority of his entire family were... Killed in a plane crash. Mm. The crown goes through this, but he's basically was a nomad. He didn't have anywhere to be. How old was he when he when his family was killed in a plane accident? He was in his early teens, I think. Very so early. He's he was a little boy. He was quite young. Yeah. Eventually, he kind of landed himself in the British royal family through the help of like because they're all related. So Louis Mountbatten kind of took him under his wing, brought him in, introduced him to Elizabeth when she was thirteen and he was eighteen, and then. They were eventually married. And then he was made a prince of Britain, renounced his previous title. But that meant that he had to be, he spent his entire life one step behind his own wife and a woman, mm-hmm. which in, really infuriated him. And it's interesting if you look up on YouTube interviews with him where people have tried to bring this up, he becomes extremely combative. He won't, like, he, he's accusatory. He says, like, well, I'm not going to sit here and psychoanalyze it, you know, like, really mad about it. And that's kind of fueled this rage that he has his entire life, I think. His son has been sitting there waiting in the wings, not good enough, forced to have this corset around his personality, Charles, you know. And then, like, kind of had a difficult relationship with his father. And then, of course, Charles had his own kind of public shame right. that unfolded. Yeah. Yeah, which his kids had to sit and look at. Well, let's get into it a little bit then. Yeah. Yeah. With Charles and Camilla and Diana, Will and Harry's mother. Let's back up there. The other thing that stood out to me was how palpably sad Harry is. And how much pain he seems like he is in. That's legit. That's the thing. Yeah, you can't get past that. And it doesn't seem like watching it as the viewer, you know, he, he seems sad. And I do believe that they love each other and that they're supportive of each other because of the way that they would sort of look at each other before they answered a question, not hesitantly, mm. but just sort of in like, I'm I'm here with you kind of way, yeah. which I thought was sweet. But as far as Harry's pain goes, I mean, so I'm 38, so... When, when Princess Diana was killed, I was 14. Mm-hmm. So Harry was 12, and I believe William was 15. And obviously everybody, you know, where were you when you found out that she died? The world was shocked. It was so sad. She was killed by the paparazzi, or that's what we say she was killed by, in a car accident when they were chasing her in France. 
it was really horrifying because I was also close in age to both him and William at the time that I just felt so sad for them. Mm -hmm. And my own grandfather was born in Wales and his family came to America when he was a little boy. And so the royal family was always very amusing to him but also I think secretly special and he had a lot of memorabilia around their wedding Charles and Diana and so when she died I mean I remember he stayed up to watch it and recorded it and then we re-watched it with him while he wept and this is a man who is himself if he was still alive would also be 99 he is Prince Philip's exact age but he was so devastated by her funeral mm. and you know, everybody remembers Harry and William walking along, you know, behind their mother's funeral, just heartbroken with a card that said mummy that they had put on her coffin. Ugh. Just the sheer force of people, you know, the, the volume of the screams, people crying out to them. I found a clip of William talking about that experience. He's talking in his early, I think, 20s or, or even late teens about it. And he says, you know, it was really surreal because people all over the world were mourning her as if they knew her and they didn't. Which, as a kid, I think if you were like a younger adult, that would be something that would stick out to you about your parents dying and being publicly mourned. Like you would think that was strange. But then he says, and also people were grabbing at us and grabbing us. Mm. So just put yeah, yourself yeah. as a kid that you're 12 and people are touching you and grabbing out to hold on to you to be like your mother was an angel or you know whatever they were saying to them i think that that would be awfully upsetting but also just the fact that i think it was probably totally awful and everything but a lot of it probably wasn't shocking to him mm -hmm. that they kind of are required to be in this situation where they are public figures that people react to like this. Yeah. He'd seen, yeah, I mean... it, you know, like, not that that meant, I feel like that's an indication of how abnormal it would be for him. I think it, st to me, it stands out that somebody that at this point has walked through crowds many, many times over at this point when he, when William, not even Harry gave that interview, he's gone through crowds over and over again. He's endured the pressure, but that detail that people were grabbing him and it sounded like it was unsettling for him and Harry. That, I think, that matters. That little detail that he mentioned that people were reaching out to them and trying to latch on to them. Mm. Think about the yeah. cloud of grief that they must have been and the numbness. And then you have people physically trying to pull you towards them. Well, it's a strange to to responsibility. You. It's like what I was asking Matt the other day. Like, what is the royal job? You go to a bunch of ribbon cutting ceremonies. You walk, particularly if you're a duchess or a princess, you walk you know, along this throng of human beings who are touching you around the waist and trying to hug you and, you know, touching at your face and trying to get photos. And then you collect their presents, usually a stuffed animal right, and right, flowers. Right, right. And then what happens next? Do you then what? You're tired. Especially then what in the context of being 12 and 15 and having just lost your beloved mother in a horrific car accident. 
the other thing, you know, going back, Aaron, to what you were saying, like, yes, we all know how Diana died. She was she was killed in a car accident, but she was killed in a car accident because the paparazzi was chasing her. It was a very unsafe situation. Like, we know that that's how Diana died. So that framed against in the interview over and over again, Harry says, we just wanted protection. Mm -hmm. We just wanted protection. Well, is he talking about financial protection? Is he talking about, you know, protection from the media and killing unflattering stories? And why didn't they protect Meghan more from having endless, ridiculous, mean things published about her? I think that's true. But I think the biggest thing he was asking for that family mm. from his family is please don't kill my wife. Yeah. They took away her security. They took away her bodyguards. She and Archie and now Harry are without, you know, the Metropolitan Police detail that UK taxpayers pay for. They took that away real fast when they moved to the Commonwealth in Canada. But for them to do that, given the context of how Harry lost his mother at 12 and what he had to endure publicly after that seems wildly cruel. And again, all he is saying is, please do not let me, my wife and my child be murdered by whoever on the street. And they said... No, we don't think so. Because there's a precedent and the, yeah. the strength of the monarchy is that it doesn't change. Mm. Um, so they have all these rules about if you have his or her royal highness in front of your name, you get a certain level of security. If you do not have that, you no longer do. There is no other way around it for them. That's why like when Kate was courting William and then just being hounded, they went, we can't do anything about this. Um, well, you know, just in, in the same sense that this family is so invested in tradition, then I guess you ought to die in the same way that your mother died, correct? It Pre seems... Continue the lineage. It seems like they're let ambivalent just, about that, yeah. Let me just play you a clip. This is Harry talking about his mother's death when he's uh, in his late 20s. She'd had a quite a severe head injury, but she was very much still alive on the back seat. And those people that, that caused the accident instead of helping we're taking photographs of, of her dying on the back seat and then those photographs made have made their way back to uh, to news desks in this country that mm. is not something that gets talked about a lot they took her picture while she was dying yeah. instead of helping her and the uk media published the photos that is right. so shocking to me <sighs> I, I don't think that enough people keep that in context when they think about what harry is simply asking for which is for his family to be protected so that their last moments aren't photographed by the daily mail well well it begs the question why harry and not will because will is going to be the king right and so he what do you mean why harry and not will why do does mean? harry feel this way and William doesn't. It's because Harry's family is not in line for the throne, right? So there's different rules for them. Yeah, I mean, it's also just sort of lucky that William's kind of like dull and so is Kate. You know, they're not particularly <laughs> interesting people, which is why they're very good at that job. They don't, they just like do their job and they don't complain. They've been brought up in that way. Don't complain, never explain. Yeah. Which yeah. Is the motto. But, you know, the other thing I'll say about Diana's death and like watching that clip I just played as part of like a longer, some BBC special. William talks about Charles protecting the family, really protected them in the sense that they hid them away so that they wouldn't be photographed, they wouldn't be seen by the public. And the 
days after she died. What is that relationship like? I know that Harry talks about Charles not taking his calls on the show, but thinking about it in the context of what they must have experienced as little boys during his parents' extremely (laughs) extraordinarily public marital struggles. Right. I mean that age I was a teenager when my family broke apart and the shame and embarrassment and utter disgust that I felt towards my own father for having a kind of garden variety affair but it forced me to see him as like a sexual being it traumatized the shit out of me it really did and I can't imagine being how old would they have been seven eight nine ten eleven and having to experience tampon gate publicly right they you know that kids were making fun of them at eaton and if they weren't they were seeing it on television that shit was everywhere which brings us (laughs) to the infidelity of the royals and i'll hand it off to you aaron yes the royal family is known for its infidelities as a royal i guess you're entitled to um side pieces. This is the tradition of the Prince of Wales, yeah. Yeah, the Prince of Wales, Charles, as we all know from The Crown, had a decades-long affair with Camilla Parker Bowles. Before, during, and after, he was married to Diana, as now he is married to Camilla. So both boys had to grow up sort of accepting um, the stepmother, who they both get along with. But we thought that we would play some of the transcript being read by YouTuber Sean Atwood um, (laughs) that will give us a bit of what was available um, in the early 90s to literally the entire world, Tampon Gate. And sort of feel one's way along with, if you know what I mean, Camilla. Mmm. You're awfully good feeling your way along, Charles. Oh, stop. I want to feel my way along you. All over you. Mm. And up and down you. And in and out. Mm. Oh, Charles. (laughs) Particularly in and out. Oh, that's just what I need at the moment. Mm. Is it? The trouble is I need you several times a week. Mmm, so do I. I need you all the week, all the time. Oh, God. I'll just live inside your trousers or something. It won't be much easier. Your trousers. Camilla laughs. What are you going to turn into? A pair of knickers? (laughs) They both laugh. Camilla, oh, you're going to come back as a pair of knickers? Or, God forbid... A Tampax. Just oh. my luck. Oh, you are a complete idiot. Oh, what a wonderful idea. Oh. Okay, oh, I'm going to stop because it's... Could come back as a I box. am so... He's like, well, maybe I'll be the box. Perhaps I'll be the box of tampons. Maybe I'll be the tree that turns into the box. Yeah. The reason that we played a comedic YouTuber reading that dialogue is because the actual audio, which is on the internet, sounds like it was recorded in a microwave on planet Mars because the audio is so old. It's from like 1989, right? Who was taping that audio? Wasn't it the News of the World or something? So one of the tabloids. 
tapped their phones. But, you know, again, as a 38-year-old woman listening to that, you feel their repression. They're like, in and out. You will go in and out of me. That is sexy talk to th- for them. They're like very much describing the mechanics of like intercourse. missionary yes. intercourse. Yeah. Okay, great. However, as an adult listening to it, it's embarrassing. And I can't imagine being eight or how old they were because you know that they listened to that. They had to have heard it. I don't know. Or heard references to it. Or had seen people throw tampons at their dad in public or something. I'm sure it happened. Well, they, I don't know. Everybody says that when you're a royal, everything is kept from you. Megan claims that she never heard Megxit before Oprah told her. That was stupid. That was really unbelievable. They'll use Meg for anything, <laughs> Harry. Mm. Uh, let's let's talk about Andrew. Apparently, he is someone that the royal family deems uh, appropriate to protect. Mm-hmm. And yet, Harry, who has not raped teenage girls, right. um, is not. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's pretty startling. Because um, I guess it's like he's difficult. You know, he's you have to quarantine him somehow. Can you explain to us as a royal expert, Matt? <laughs> What does Andrew have still afforded to him? When I say security, I mean a security guard or secret service or metropolitan police. He has that, right? I would imagine so. His physical body is protected in public. His security is accounted for by others at all times. He doesn't have... All of his, like, kind of public duties were taken away from him. Right. So he doesn't... I'm not certain the extent to which he's actually going out in an official capacity. He's certainly funded by the Queen. But he was on about four hundred grand a year while he was working. But um, if he has to go somewhere... You mean, like, to America? To talk to the FBI? To America to be arrested Or to FBI. fuck a teen? Apparently he doesn't have to talk to the FBI. I don't think he's he has to go anywhere. I'm just asking to have this question answered. Does he have security? One would assume he has security, yes. Okay, yeah. so I just need to know that in context in comparison to Harry and Blake. They're willing to protect Andrew and not Harry and Meghan and baby Archie. Because she is well, the queen's son. And Megan mm-hmm. is a black American woman. And that mm-hmm. is what the implication has been all along is they left because of racism. Mm-hmm. But also what's interesting too is that they took away Archie's title, um, though they never gave him one. And they talked about how that was the case before he was born. And in fact, there is a royal precedent for the children of titled senior royals not having titles like princess anne's children are not titled because she didn't want them to have titles because i think princess anne probably thinks royalty is crazy and toxic as well (laughs) so she's like i just don't want my kids to have to deal with that crap but she chose that whereas in this instance they have not chosen it yeah well it's like archie would become prince when charles takes the throne because well i don't think archie it seems like archie doesn't get anything okay I think that's the weird thing. He doesn't get anything. He should. Makes sense if his grandfather's the king. Yeah. But, you know, who knows? It doesn't seem to be their priority. I'm Elizabeth Thompson. And I'm Erin Hosier. Right now you're listening to our very special royal episode of Daddy Issues, where we are talking about the capital T trauma of coming out of the royal family. We just want to quickly let you know that if you hop over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash tellmeaboutyourfather, you will find a bonus episode 
purely about the biggest garbage bag of them all. The Duchoisie. Andrew, Prince Andrew. That's the right. Duke of, what is he? The Duke of Farts. Yes. Bad Dads are ultra special patreon series three dollars a month hop on over for just three dollars you can hear extra bonus episodes we also have an episode of bad dads about ted cruz ted cruz and whomst else is that it oh no we had we had oh jamie um, spears oh jamie spears all right anyways this was an amazing ad we'll get right back to it patreon.com backslash tell me about your father bad dads prince andrew go listen to it Thank you. Should we talk about Megan's father, Mr. Thomas Markle, who's been quite the lightning rod throughout these last three and a half years that they've even existed as a couple? Mm-hmm. Everyone listening may remember that famously her father, Thomas Markle, did not attend her wedding and Prince Charles walked her down the aisle. There was a huge drama that the paparazzi or the British press had paid him off in 2018 before the wedding. Like they showed him having a suit dry cleaned or something. They also showed him in an internet cafe in Mexico where he lives reading a book about English castles. Oh, there it is. Right. And eating fried chicken. A posed photo, of course, but it was hilarious nonetheless that they paid him. They set up this photo of him looking at English castles, if only to, I think, create the sense, too, for Americans. Because I remember when those photos first came out, people were like, Oh, I know. You know. Like, oh, he thinks he's going for the wedding or he's getting ready, you know. He's and a- then to find out that he was paid to do that made it all, it just was instantly not funny, sweet, and icky. In that way, he's like Jamie Spears. He's also like Michael Lohan. He's also like Amy Winehouse's father. You know, like they've got a daughter that's a cash cow. Mm. So they're just like this, this unbelievably clumsy oaf that gets kicked around and paid for by the press and just can't get it right and can't respect their own daughter. Well, that's he's a shit true. Yeah. He's a, he does seem like a total shitbag, but it's worth noting that Megan adored her father and said the following about him just a few years ago. Um, for Elle magazine, she described him as the most hardworking father you can imagine. She credits him for her work ethic and for teaching her the importance of handwritten thank you notes, which she then wrote to him in calligraphy. She's a calligraphy expert, Meghan Markle. And so a recent... I would have assumed that. (laughs) I am too. A recent lawsuit they won against the Daily Mail, who somehow intercepted this letter. I think the implication, again, is that either Thomas Markle shared it with the Daily Mail or the palace shared it with the Daily Mail. But it was printed, and it was all about how he'd broken her heart into a million pieces. Um, But before that split, she talked him up a lot. You know, he made her a mixed-race family of Barbies. And then, just a few years later, before the wedding, Markle told the Daily Mail that his daughter would be, quote, nothing without me. I made her the duchess she is today. Hmm. He smelled the money. (laughs) She's mixed race, Meghan Markle. Her father is white. 
Her mother, Dorian Raglan, is black. Her mother was married to Thomas for eight years, like the late 80s into the 90s. I think Megan was six when they divorced. Dad was a lighting designer on uh, several TV shows, but General Hospital for a bunch of years. He took her to sets. They lived in L.A. Mom is a licensed social worker. So it seemed like a normal, you know, second marriage for him. He has two older, way older than Megan children. Samantha, who is the older sister who's crazy and is always on TV talking about Megan. Uh, She hasn't seen her in 18 years, and yet she wrote a book called The Diary of Princess Pushy's Sister, Part one. Which sounds like something you would write in like fifth grade. Fifth grade. grade. This woman's in her 50s. She's like 50. It's not fair. And then she has a (laughs) half-brother, Thomas Markle Jr., who recently held a gun to a woman's head during a drunken argument. And I just wanted to say, too, that before the wedding, and I remember this, Harry told the press that his family is the family that I suppose she's never had. Mm -hmm. So he did imply that his family was the better family, the more nurturing and loving family. Well, you know, all families have skeletons. All families have addiction, mental illness, and infidelity running through their veins. However, I do think listening to you talk just now about Megan and what she's been through and where she's come from, um, that perhaps the emphasis on, you know, her, her sui- she says on Oprah she was suicidal when she realized how much the Buckingham Palace was not going to protect her right. figuratively from the media and also literally her, her body moving, her body moving through space. <laughs> but like, but really. Yeah. And so I imagine that if you grow up with that kind of derision, loss of love, betrayal by your own dad and sisters Mm -hmm. to talk to the media about you um, other trauma that you're gonna want to feel protected the protection and comfort and consistency is something you're gonna want in uh, the family that you marry into it makes sense that she really wanted those she doesn't want to just survive busy she wants to thrive she does so i'm about to play an extra from the Oprah conversation. It was a bummer because they had to kind of cut out all the Thomas Markle stuff, but we got a piece for you right now. Uh, This is about all the mishgas with the tabloids and Megan's dad. It was working with the tabloids. Um... I'm just trying to decide if I'm comfortable even talking about that. <sighs> Take your time, Meg. It was, it, if, it, if, it, if we're going to use the word betrayal, it's because when I asked him, when we were told by the comms team this is a story that was going to be coming out, which, by the way, the tabloids had apparently known for a month or so and oh. decided to hold until the Sunday before our wedding because they wanted to create drama, um, which is also a really key point in all this. They don't report the news. They create the news. Um, Mm. Just like us. We called my dad and I asked him, (laughs) and he said, no. 
absolutely not. Mm. And I said, you know, the, the institution has never intervened for anything for us, but they can try to go in and kill this story. But if they do this once, we're not going to be able to use that same leverage to protect our own kids one day. He said, no, absolutely not. He hadn't been talking to them. Yeah. yeah. So he basically lied to you. Well, and so when I said we won't be able to protect our own kids one day, uh-huh. and, and I said, so I just need you to tell me. And if you tell me the truth, we can help. And he wasn't able to do that. Uh-huh. And that for me has, has really resonated, especially now as a mother. Uh-huh. You know, not being able to not being willing to protect you. And also me saying, just full stop, if we use this to protect you, we won't be able to protect our own children one day. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm talking about your grandchildren. So I can't, I mean, I look at Archie, I think about this child, and I go, I can't, um, I genuinely can't imagine doing anything to intentionally cause pain to my child. I can't, I can't imagine it. So it's hard for me to reconcile that. So your father being hunted down it seemed like you were saying in some ways that they did this to him so i want you to be able to clarify this that the that the tabloids the media did this to him they hunted him Mm. but he has a responsibility in it too everyone has accountability look they've hunted my mom down right and And she didn't speak to the tabloids you've never heard her say a word she's remained in silent dignity for four years watching me go through this and dignity that's mm. something I can't relate to is silent dignity. <laughs> but that's a nice nice trait in a mom. Of course. And it's the trait of a protector, someone who keeps your secret. Which is the theme of this this whole Who won't sell you out or expose you. Yeah. I'm not married, but my sister is married and my father was still alive when she got married. Oh. And he was really in the depths of his drinking at that point and was in a pretty bad shape. It was very tense, the relationship between my sister, me, and my dad at that point. And so instead, she had my mother and him walk her down the aisle, both because she was angry with him. And I also think just the rejection of like the the ridiculous patriarchal act of a man giving away his daughter to another man. Here she is. Have fun. Um, I felt like I really related to and I felt very sorry for her when she said that he wouldn't be attending and watching Charles walk her down the aisle instead of her own father. I remember seeing people on Twitter or on social media or even things written about like that that's a powerful image and a powerful moment for people who don't have good relationships with their fathers. Yeah. Because so many people don't have have relationships with their dads and do have dads who would willingly harm them and mothers who would willingly yeah. harm them. And I think the fact that she talked about that on Oprah yeah. is important. And um, it's, it's also worth noting, I mean, she was telling us I was suicidal. I went to mm-hmm. the palace, the institution, as she calls it, and I asked for help first to go mm-hmm. away or for help to be brought to me. For help, yeah. Meaning psychiatric treatment because I wanted to kill myself while I was pregnant. With the would-be prince if we we didn't care so much about um, titles. Yeah, with the would-be prince. And I want to kill myself because I'm so unhappy. That's, it's shocking because Will and Harry, because of their early childhood trauma that you bring up, losing their mother, 
the four of them, right even before they got married, Harry and Meghan, they had a press conference. They called them the Fab Four with Kate and Will and Harry and Meghan, and they were going to start a new foundation in support of mental illness and Ugh. mental health and talking about it. I remember that was the message is like, it's okay, this is the new generation of kind of millennials, you know, mm-hmm. who we are going to usher our country and indeed the world into a kinder, gentler, you know, system around mental health and get people the health they want, take away the shame. And yet behind the scenes, it was all happening and she wasn't getting help. There is something sort of chilling or unsettling about the fact that I think William and Harry, one of the reasons why they wanted to be part of that initiative is because they too have talked very publicly and openly about their own struggles with depression. At least Harry has. And, you know, he says it in the Oprah special that he's in therapy. And and they have spoken publicly about how painful it was to lose Diana. And those who have watched The Crown have have know this or also who just know about Diana's life at that time. She was bulimic. Mm -hmm. She was in the throes of, of eating disorders. She was completely shut out by the royal family. She couldn't get anyone to talk to her. Mm. And I had these visions, you know, as Megan's talking about, I couldn't get anyone to talk to me. I couldn't get anyone to take me seriously or to take me seriously about needing help. Flashing back to watching The Crown and Diana calling phones that never answered, either trying to find Charles or trying to even talk to the queen about how unhappy she was and how worried she was. And the fact that Charles was with Camilla. No one would talk to her. And it's evocative of that, which makes me believe it. And also, talking about what Harry and William witnessed as boys, they had to have seen her in those moments. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Diana shielded them from her pain, but I'm sure that they saw how unhappy she was. And that's also why they wanted to start that mental health initiative. This family said, no, we're not going to help you. We're not going to get you the psychiatric help that you need. We're not going to let you go to a hospital or facility or whatever. And also, we're going to take away your security. So have fun. I just, is the implication there that they kind of want something dramatic, i.e. deadly, to happen to one of their own? And it's like, who is expendable? And I think it's her. And I think that's what Harry says in the Oprah special. In so many words, which Oprah's a master at, like, getting people to specify when they're speaking and with euphemisms or being vague. He says something like, I know how this will end. He says it a couple times. I know how this plays out. Out. I know how this will end. And and she says, are you talking about your mother? And he says, yes. So <laughs> to me as the viewer, I'm watching that thinking, what he's saying is, I know that this will end with Megan being photographed by the paparazzi as she dies mm. if this doesn't change, mm. if we don't leave. Let's just talk a minute about Harry as a father. I mean, he's making the decisions to walk away from his life and be a full partner with his wife, Megan, in parenting, which would be a first for any royal, any senior royal. Uh, He Mm -hmm. seems like a very modern dad. What do we love about him so much? He's so accessible. 
he seems like a modern dad not to compare harry to (laughs) andrew cuomo but like (laughs) governor cuomo as we talked about on our last episode of daddy issues i think you and i and a lot of people out there are smitten with what we think is you know a therapized man Mm. so to speak yeah a crier he seems like a good dad who knows his kid you know who knows that when oprah says what is what are the words that he's saying right now harry says archie says drive safe drive safe drive safe yeah which also to compare it to the diana stuff chilling yeah oh her grandson says drive safe to people as they leave the house whoa Whoa. i mean (laughs) that sort of says it all we know that Harry talks to his son. Yep. He can quote his son. Oh, He's listened he to his he son speak. To him. We know that they read books while cameras are taking pictures of them. Mm-hmm. We also know that they go on the beach and play with their dogs. They're two rescue dogs. That's right. Yeah, Megan says they got their chickens. They rescued the chickens. They rescued the dogs. And so Megan says at one point in the chicken coop, I just like to rescue. I mean, and I thought again. maybe, you know, not to take it away from Pretty Woman, she wants to rescue that prince right back. She wants to rescue <gasps> him right back. She really does. Then at the end of the Oprah interview, she asks them, yeah. right? What does she say? Who saved who? Is that what I she says? I think she does. I think she says who saved or something about like the fairy tale. The fairy tale has a different ending. They both credit each other with saving each other, which is a little eye-rolly, but... But probably true. It's probably true. It it sounds like she was raised by wolves and so was he. What did we take away from this? That Harry's traumatized because he wasn't protected Mm -hmm. and that the royal family is basically saying... We know, and we don't care if you live or die. Yeah, and I think it's it's a commentary, Busy, on modernity. And Mm. America's belief is that you can make the family that you want. Your chosen Mm -hmm. family. It's not about blood. It's about love. We have our families of origin, and then we have chosen family. And we know that in Harry and Meghan's chosen family is uh, Catherine McPhee and David Foster. That's right. Also, how weird that, like, David Foster and Catherine McPhee are, like, their couple friends. Yeah, it is a little weird. And, like, what was their role in them coming here? Yeah, I think they helped find them that place in Vancouver and probably, like, threw them a plane. You know, that was a big thing, too. She always got yelled at for taking private planes. Like, they all don't, you know? Who's flying commercial in the royal family? Exactly. Anyway, we digress. We have our families of origin and we have our families of choice. And there are a lot of people in this world who need to make new families to get their needs met. met. And that's a good thing. We're going to play Go Into the Chapel just to exit. She loses her voice, but she gets it again in the end. We'll wrap it. All right. That was, that was great. Thanks so much. <laughs> Tell Me About Your Father was created and produced by Aaron Hosier, Elizabeth Thompson, and Matthew Philp. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Tell Me About Your Father and become a Tell Me About Your Father subscriber at patreon.com slash tellmeaboutyourfather for exclusive access to our series Bad Dads, which lays out why certain celebrities are dreadful fathers. Thanks for listening. 